and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today on the podcast, we have Colby Sharp. He's the author of Game Changer, Book Access for All Kids with Donalyn Miller, founder of the Nerdy Book Club and host of the podcast, The Yarn Project. Colby is passionate about inspiring kids to love to read. He discusses his classroom library, reaching dormant readers, and living in book deserts. He also is an upcoming presenter at the CCIRA 2022 conference. Well, hi, Colby. Welcome to the CCIRA Literacy Conversation podcast. Thanks for joining us. And can you give us just a little background about yourself? Hello, thanks for having me. Uh, I teach fifth grade in Parma, Michigan at Parma Elementary. It's uh, just a tiny town in um, the middle of South, South the, I guess the middle of Southern Michigan. Uh, I went to school here as a child. Um, I can see my parents' house each day when we walk around for recess. Every day my kids walk, my kids if I have kids here, I currently have uh, two children here. They walk to grandma's house and grandpa's house after school. Uh, I've been teaching for 14 years. I co-wrote Game Changer, Book Access for All Kids with Donald Miller. I have a podcast with my friend Travis Yonker called The Yarn, where we talk about children's books. And I like to read a lot. That's my very first question because you have all of these book recommendations. You're part of, you co-founded the Nerdy Book Club you have five children of your own and a classroom teacher. How do you find time to read all of these books? Yeah, we make time for what's important, I think. So, um, you know, Netflix is doing pretty well and Amazon Prime and HBO Max and, and all of those things are doing pretty well. And, you know, I, I watch a little TV here and there. Uh, I read every night before bed. That's hugely helpful. Uh, I like to read a little bit in the mornings on many days. Uh, weekends when I get a chance, but just a little bit, right? It's like eating a whale, right? Just a little bit at a time. Is that right? Eating a whale? I don't know. There was a Shel Silverstein poem where this girl eats a whale and she starts really young. And then at the end, she's really, it's like my favorite, but yeah, just, just reading a little bit. We were so obsessed with stories like Kate DiCamillo, when she was a national ambassador for young people's literature, talked about how stories connect us. And, you know, it's why we, uh, one of the big reasons we love music and why we love television, why we love movies and why we read the newspaper. Uh, I think we're pretty obsessed with stories and I find them and they're written in books, a pretty special way to consume them. I love that quote of making time for what's important because yes, we all find time for what we want to do. Yeah, I, I, I love to run. Like it's, it's my only time that I'm alone. Uh, I have 29 students. I have five children, uh, big family. And every morning uh, I wake up at 4.22 and I run five or six miles. I've ran every day for 670 days in a row. And, and we just make time for those things that, are, that matter to us. So oh, it's a little less time scrolling for me on Facebook, I guess. And I do love to scroll on Facebook, but yes. <laughs> We all do. It's just choices of how much time to yeah. do that with. <laughs> first things first. Yeah. Well, in your book with Donna Lynn, um, the Game Changer book, you really talk about giving kids access to books. So what are some suggestions you would give to classroom teachers about giving, like having successful classroom libraries is a part of that book? And we're actually writing a whole book on classroom libraries now. So 
yeah, it's uh, it's really good practice for kids to be surrounded by books and to learn how to pick books and to learn about being in a community. And you know, if we give them time to read all of the t- every day and we make that uh, non-negotiable, then uh, they're going to read a lot and they're going to start reading at home and they're going to start reading during math and they're going to start reading, taking a book with them on vacation and and they're going to start reading in the summer and then you know they're going to maybe even read in the future when they have possibly a class where they don't get to have a huge classroom library and have time to read in class. So I think the classroom library is everything. Um, And I knew that, and Donalyn and I and other friends talk about, like, I can't even imagine teaching without a classroom library. I don't know how many times I've heard Donalyn say that. But, you know, this year, as we're, you know, teaching in, in a global pandemic, and I started the year with having to quarantine books and being scared of kids like being near each other. Um, and you know, we began the year with pro- a large portion of our reading on tablets and they would read on apps like Epic. And it was awful. Like it was so awful and we were not reading. And we were not going, like we were, like they would read, it looked like they would like read text the whole time, but they would switch books every day. There was no consistency. You couldn't see what the other kids were reading. There was no me running to the library and coming back with like a stack of seven books. So it took me seeing what it was like to teach without a classroom library or with a really limited classroom library to just see what can happen when you have one. And we we're able to open up our library, right? Like at the beginning of the year, like the new, the new Dog Man and a new What Diary of a Wimpy Kid, you know, came out that first semester. And like, okay, kids, who wants to read it first? And then a kid reads it. And then we have to wait like three days for someone else to read it. It's just like sitting there in the corner of the room and like everyone wants to read it. And I, I have to just let it sit there because there might be these little germs that could kill their grandparents, like crawling around the book. So yeah, I think the classroom library and, you know, I th- one of the things that, I don't want to ever not talk about is the importance of a school library and alongside of that, in a perfect world, those two libraries are working together and the classroom teacher and hopefully a certified school librarian are partnering to provide for the needs of all readers. You know, I have, I don't know, a couple thousand, a few thousand books in here, but I could never have all of the books, right? Like I could never have all of the series, especially when it comes to nonfiction. Like there's so many different topics and it's impossible for a teacher to be expected to have all of those, right? You know, especially when we're, you know, 22, 23 years old, walking into a classroom for the first time with 70, 80, $90,000 worth of student debt, a car payment, you know, possibly a, a new relationship and you know, little people coming into the mix in some cases. So a classroom teacher can't do it all. And I guess to piggyback on that, a classroom teacher shouldn't be expected to, to do it all. It should be, um, it's, those classroom libraries should be supported uh, at the building level, at the district level, and possibly even at the community level. So I have a question as a classroom teacher, how do you house that many books in your room? Because Ooh, I have a lot of books, but I don't have anywhere near that many. And space is already a challenge for me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's tough. Um, I can tell you, but if you go to my YouTube channel, if you just go to youtube.com backslash Colby Sharp, 
you will immediately, a video will start playing that is a tour of my classroom library. So if this was a video show, I could just walk you around my classroom right now, which I'm sitting in, even though it's like 85 degrees in here. Uh, but uh, the entire edges all the way around my classroom, if there's not a door or a cupboard, it's all bookshelves. Like it's just bookshelves everywhere. And they're as high as they can be with the size of the students that I have. I actually had to move some this year because I had I tried to go hot too high and there were books that my kids didn't have access to because of their height. So I had to fix that. Um, and if you have the books and you don't have the space, which is absolutely an issue, you can always rotate books through, right? Like I could, you know, I would probably keep my graphic novels in the classroom library all year and all of the high interest series and authors and, but rotate through, I could rotate through the nonfiction. I could rotate through you know, different series possibly. You know, maybe I, in my realistic fiction and fantasy section, I could rotate through there. But then it even comes down to like shelving, right? Like where do you get all the shelves? And I built half of these bookshelves with family members. We, a college dorm room was being torn down in our, in our community. So we got all the trucks of teachers who had trucks and we loaded them up an entire Saturday. And my nicest bookshelves were being thrown away by the college. So it's, it's tough. Then you have to have like the little baskets. So I buy all these little baskets from our, like, it's called Meyer. I guess it's like a Walmart or a Target kind of, but I buy the little shoe boxes. So they're like you could plastic boxes with you put shoes in. I buy those 25 at a time. And I, I leave the lids though. I feel so guilty because you have to pay for the bins and then they have these white lids and I never take them. So these poor inventory people at the store are like, well, we have no baskets, but 150 lids. So I always wonder what, what they think and I feel bad. So if you're listening, my employee, I apologize. I'll try to take the lids, but I don't wanna like waste them. It's, sorry, teacher problems. I totally understand that because I always bought the lids, but then it's like, what am I going to do with them? Because you can't stack the books like to store them like for the summer or anything. There's too many to stack to put on the lids. So yeah, I get, I get you. That was probably a better idea. I should have left the lids in the store as well. That'll be their problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I was thinking I learned something from that too. You just leave the lids at the store. Well, it's, if you learn one thing from this podcast, yes. take one of a big takeaway. <laughs> Well, teacher clutter is a big issue. So that is a good takeaway too. Um, you talk a little bit about power of book ownership in your book. Can you tell us what that means and what that would look like? Yeah, I mean, readers own books, right? Basketball players own basketballs, golfers own golf clubs, uh, scientists own test tubes maybe. Um, but I, you know, if, you know, we own the things that matter to us, like how we spend our money or the things that, we're able to purchase for whatever means, you know, are the things that we love. And it doesn't necessarily have to be so that we can read them over and over and over again. But it's like, you see smile on the shelf and you think about the first time you read smile. And, and one thing that readers do is they also pass books on to other readers. And if your friend comes over and they see your bookshelf and they've read smile, maybe they say, oh, I have sisters or I have drama or I have, uh, guts and so I just think that and the research says like people who own books read more so uh, I think that yeah we own the things that define who we are and we want kids to see themselves as readers 
So and look, where else are they going to get books, right? Like where else, where else, who read last summer? The kids who had books, right? It, all the stores, all the bookstores were closed. Our library just opened up browsing 16 months later. Like you could not, like what nine-year-old, seven-year-old is going on the library website and like searching books to put on hold to then go and pick up and then call when they get there. So they like, that's just not happening, right? There's no kids riding their bikes. There were no kids riding their bikes to the store. And like a lot of people lost their jobs. So like the kids who were able to buy books or had books and were the ones who were able to read. And I think we saw the importance of book access more than ever during the pandemic and how, what can happen when kids don't have it. You know, we often think about our, our kids who maybe families who struggle financially, you know, living in food deserts, but those kids are often also living in book deserts. No bookstores in their town, libraries not open or they have limited hours or it's in a, across a busy street or you get fines, kids get fines and they return their books and they still have fines and then they can't check books out. So yeah, it's um, book ownership is a great way. And, it, it, and a lot of schools are doing great things to give kids books in the summer, not let them check them out necessarily or borrow them, which is great too, but it's just let them pick out some books they want to read, let them have them. Do you have an opinion on, because you kind of talked earlier about when you opened your classroom this year, couldn't have kids touching books all the time. And so some of them were online reading books and you mentioned Epic. What are your feelings about reading a hard book versus an ebook? Yeah, I remember when the ebooks were gonna like destroy the hard book business and like all the bookstores were going to close. And it's wild, even like with Amazon, like I'm guessing that they probably sell, they sell a ton of hard books. I just think that there's something about holding a book. And there's something about feeling the pages in your left hand get bigger and bigger as the pages you're holding in your right hand get smaller and smaller. But I also know that some, for some people, the eBooks work, right? And for a lot of kids, you know, the kids in their class and sitting around them, seeing the books that they read is embarrassing or they feel bad about that. I just read Lindsay Stoddard's B is for Blended. And in that book, one of the kids, he is reading on a tablet and he's able to read Smile because his buddies don't make fun of him when he's reading it on. So I think choice is good, but I, I, I have seen, it's just, I mean, it's just so distracting, right? Like I, Colby Sharp, 39 years old, try to read on a tablet. Like I'm just checking sports scores in Twitter and all of like the apps that I check, logging into my bank account. And like, I'm just, that's what I'm doing. Like it's so just notifications pop up. Um, so I think it's tricky. I do think it's hard to read like a chapter book for kids a lot of times. I think that they get overwhelmed with, you know, they log into Epic and they don't see their book. They see like 10,000 books and the screen is covered with books. So I think we, and we can teach kids and give them some strategies and help them with that. But I do feel that kids at least, at least need to have the opportunity to have books to hold. So thinking about that opportunity to have books, um, how, and, and kids during the pandemic who didn't have books at home, um, obviously you create access in your classroom. How do you create some access for maybe those kids when they go home in the summer? Or how do you recommend teachers try to do that so that 
there's just more books in our community as a whole. So they get that opportunity. Yeah, we um, we try to come up with money every year in our building to give our most at-risk students an opportunity to buy multiple books, like four to 10 books each year to take home. We used to do, we used to like mail them to them, like three books in June, two books in July, so that they would be getting new books. But even then, like with funding and stuff, it just became the shipping cost were, were, were so hard. So yeah, and I'll let the kids borrow any books from my classroom next week. We have, uh, we're recording this in the beginning of June. We have a few more days of school left and we'll make two read lists. And we will talk about where they can get books and we'll talk about, you know, what books do they want to borrow and, and they'll borrow books from my classroom. I actually just got Be Prepared, the graphic novel back two days ago, Tuesday, two, Tuesday of this week from a girl in my class and her brother is an eighth grader. I teach fifth grade. She's like, oh, my brother borrowed this in fifth grade. He told me to bring it back to you. So you know, we don't get all of the books back and sometimes it's three plus years before we get them back, but they're just collecting dust you know, in here in my classroom and not serving any readers. So, you know, what, would, what is the famous quote? We'd rather lose a book than a reader. Yeah, I, I had a student come back one day, high school senior. Hey, here's your copy of this book. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Did you ever like, read it? And sometimes they'll be like, I'm so sorry I ruined your book or I'm so sorry it got wet. And then it's just like, okay, it's fine. It's like cardboard and paper, like, not a big, and they're so surprised. Like I think everywhere else in their life when they break something or something gets ruined, like it's like the world is ending. But like books aren't supposed to last forever, right? Like the copy of Smile, like Scossick knows what they're doing. They could make those, well, that copy of Smile last forever. They, they could, but they know that I'll buy two copies every year for the rest of my life. So uh, I guess you could buy the permabound versions, but yeah, I think getting, I think that's huge. I think, you know, bring in the librarians, if you can, the community librarians. I don't know, I feel like kids are using the libraries less and less for, for book checkout than, than I remember when I first started teaching and when I was a kid. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we went to the library for air conditioning, right? Like we went to the library on 90 degree days because we could get out on the computer or the, like the first computer in hot, like before we had them in our home and, and we could, it would be 70 degrees. So I'm worried that in, you know, our library in, in the town that I live in is only open four days a week. And some days it's open from 11 to three, which it's tricky. It's really tricky. When you think of your most reluctant reader, because I know that's like every, I'm sure all teachers are listening to this right now and saying, yeah, that's great. And I love books and I want all my kids to read my books, but this one kid does not or will not read. What are some suggestions you have for that? Wouldn't that be great if all teachers were listening right now? So like, that would be, that would be awesome. Uh, well, number one, I think that school is such a tricky thing because we have such a clear beginning and end. And like my kids, I mean, even when I say my kids, like they're in my classroom for 180 days and then they go to the next year and the next year. I think sometimes we don't have a bigger picture of a reader in our heads. Like I'm not going to get every kid to love reading in 180 days. So like, can we put things into place where kids have people who love books and know how to help kids in their lives every single year? 
kindergarten through 12th grade, right? Because in a lot of schools, it's like middle school or high school or whatever is like where readers go to die. And what if we had a book loving teacher most years? And I think where that real, this really happens is having that librarian, having strong school librarians in our districts. Um, I have never taught or attended a school in my life with a school librarian. So like my kids, if they have maybe a teacher who's passionate or other things, they could go a whole year without being around anyone who loves books. So for me, that's a big thing is to be patient. Like teachers are some of the most impatient. We're as a profession, we're some of the most impatient people. Like we have like each kid in our class has like a writing goal and a reading goal and a grammar goal and a spelling goal and a math goal. And like all like we're all these goals and like we want to like have the next goal, the next goal, the next goal. And like falling in love with something is not, you know, there's love at first sight. Um, I guess that's one way to fall in love with something. But for a lot of our kids, it's going to take time. You know, I, I read Hatchet in fourth grade as a read aloud. And I read one book in middle school and one book in high school. So it, it, it was a journey for me. And I think that if I would have had, you know, maybe some different teachers along the way, or if our school did reading a little differently when I was a kid, then I wouldn't have gotten to college and failed biology at a community college because I couldn't read the time. I just couldn't do it. So uh, when I needed reading, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And uh, I think that if we can surround kids with books, but give them, giving them time to read, letting them read whatever they want. I think one of the things I get asked the most is, I have a kid who only reads graphic novels. What do I do? And I'm like, well, you can suggest other things, but like let them read all, nothing but graphic novels because they probably never read anything before or hardly read anything. So I think just like letting them be them, like we can help them in other ways. We can help them in that text. You know, some of my kids who've done the best on the state test or whatever the landmark is that our district has had are the kids who just read graphic novels all day, right? Every day. And maybe then I suggest they read some nonfiction graphic novels, or if they're really into the memoirs, maybe I share a fantasy graphic novel or a biography graphic novel. If a kid is like all in fantasy, like Wings of Fire, Land of Stories, Harry Potter, like, yeah, we can suggest other things and talk to them about other possibilities. But at the end of the day, we need to like love that. Like she's like a basketball player. Like what if I was like the best three-point shooter in the world? Like if I am Steph Curry, like no one's like, man, Steph Curry doesn't have a lot of great post moves. Like how can, like he's just not posting up well. And if he could add this to his game, like can we just leave him alone and let him do this thing that he loves. And I think that's part of the reason. So many of these kids who don't love reading or dormant readers or reluctant readers or whatever you want to call them, like it's our fault. Like we have caused a lot of that issue. And maybe it's just in how we responded to them possibly struggling, right? I'm guessing that's where it is. They probably had some struggles along the way. They've been pulled out of class to get extra help. There's been meetings with their parents. They've been on a plan or, you know, God forbid, they've been retained for, for some reason. And I wouldn't love reading either if that was the case for me. If, you know, I got to high school and it was Great Gatsby, Scarlet Letter, Huck Finn. And I just, I was not going to read those books ever. Like, what if it would have been The Hate You Give and All American Boys and like books like that? Like, I would have read those. 
and everyone else in class would have read them. So I probably would have also read them. So I think patience, to get back to your question, patience is a big thing. It might not happen next week, next month. It might not even happen that year. And, you know, we still need to be teaching them all of the strategies that it takes to be a good reader and provide getting them, getting them, helping them build up those skills so that when they're ready, then they can dive in and then they'll develop those skills once they practice and just give them some time. It's, it's, a, it's a marathon. It really is. It really is a marathon. So obviously building a love of reading is number one. And you said you read voraciously. And so that helps you kind of curate this list of books for kids. Where do you find where you're, what you're going to read next? Like, how do you get your recommendations for things to add to your shelves so that kind of, you know, what's up and coming and yeah, yeah. what you want to get out there for kids? Well, one thing that I found is like almost every book is really good, right? Like, like there are some that like rise to the top and like a book like Wonder has been on the New York Times list for almost 300 weeks and number one for 199 weeks, like some books are, but like I've noticed that like almost every book is really good. I mean, there's so many things that are between like so many barriers that like come into play, like to get your, unless you are like a celebrity, like it's really hard to get a book published. So number one, you really can't go wrong. Like if you just go to the book fair or you go to your bookstore, like you will find books and you'll be fine. A thing that I do is I do a lot of things that I teach my kids. Like I find authors that I love. If Jennifer, when Jennifer Holmes, The Lion of Mars came out this year, I read it. Like there was no doubt about it. I was going to read it. Read it. Barbara O'Connor's Halfway to Harmony came out and I loved Wish and I loved How to Steal a Dog. So I read it. Uh, I see, uh, obviously with the Nerdy Book Club, you know, we have a different post all the time. I follow lots of people on Twitter and Instagram that are readers, a lot of teachers and librarians and other authors. So I'm getting recommendations from them as well. Also like covers, like if the cover is really awesome, then I will give it a try. Like, I mean, it's just what we do, right? It's just, we judge books by covers. And a lot of times it's because publishers will invest more in books that are, they think are going to be really good and they might get uh, a bigger budget for the cover design and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I just try to read the books that I want to read and I think my kids will read. So a lot of times I'll read the books that they want me to read. So that's always fun. Like I had, I, it was just a couple of years ago that I first read Freak the Mighty. Like I'd never read that book and uh, a fifth grader whose dad used to be a middle school teacher and used to read it aloud to his kids. And he had read it aloud to all six of his children at home. And she asked me to read it and you can't say no to that. And it was so good. It was so good. So yeah, I think the biggest way that readers get recommendations is from other readers. I know that uh, Donald Miller runs the book a day challenge. And if, if you can't read a book a day, uh, just go to, to Twitter or Instagram and search that hashtag book a day all year round. You'll find a ton of recommendations. And usually, you know, you see a book pop up two or three, four times, then, you know, it's something that you want to be on the lookout for. You mentioned Nerdy Book Club and by chance, all of our millions of teacher listeners, all the teachers, all the teachers, if they have not heard of Nerdy Book Club, can you tell them a little bit about that. In 2011, um, 
at NCTE, the National Council for Teachers of English annual conference in Chicago. We were hanging out, uh, Donalyn and myself and a bunch of our friends. And we were just saying like, if you pack five books for a trip, you might be in the nerdy, but almost like those really awful redneck jokes, you know, like that Jeff Fox really used to do. It was like, we were doing those kinds of things. And Donalyn and I said, well, we should just start a nerdy book club. We're all kind of part of one anyway. And, and Donalyn wrote the first post, I think it was December 1st, 2011. And we just had a post run every day for like seven years. We went nonstop every day and it's authors and illustrators and librarians talking about books and a lot of their own reading journeys uh, kind of spun off into a conference that we ran called Nerd Camp that we ran in Michigan for six or seven years, um, a free literacy conference. We had people from 30 plus states come. We have 2000 plus people register within 10 minutes of us opening it up, 1500 kids, 50 authors. Um, and you know, I helped Donald and I become really good friends and write a couple of books together. So yeah, but still there, we still run probably four to six posts every single week. And your podcast, The Yarn Project, what's that about? Yeah, I love podcasts. Like I, you know, I probably listen to three or four hours worth of podcast every single day. Like I'm always listening to podcasts and I wanted to start one with my friend, Travis Yonker, who is a librarian on the West side of Michigan. And I asked him and he said, no. So, and I waited another year and asked him and it was just the right day. And he said, yes. So we have two episodes a month that's on the school library journal website, but you can follow it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And twice a month, we have episodes where we talk to book creators and we've had, you know, a lot of times we would do them in person. This year has been tough, but we've had Kate D. Camillo, Jason Reynolds. We actually interviewed Dave Pilkey, the author of Dogman, in a party bus. Like he was going to a school event in a BMW party bus. And so we interviewed him on the way there. And we've interviewed, I interviewed Donald Miller about Book A Day, but it's mostly book creators. Uh, the next episode is with Kate Messner. She's got a new picture book coming out about, um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, which is pretty exciting. Um, and last month, Travis interviewed the creators of Talk Like a River, that beautiful picture book. So it's a fun opportunity for us to be able to talk to really awesome people. I had to interview Abby Wambach, who's like one of the greatest soccer players in the history of the world. So yeah, it's fun. And it's just, you know, 10 to 30 minute conversations. We used to do it where we would edit a ton and it would just be the creator speaking, but with it's hard to to do that kind of interview when we're not in person so it's really fun all right final question educational heroes like what person or maybe it's a book has had a huge impact on who you are and the way you teach in your classroom when i was in fourth grade in the classroom next to where i'm doing this interview right next door I had Miss Collins and she was the best. She was this amazing teacher and she read aloud every single day and she read aloud Hatchet. And it was forever the book that has had the biggest impact on me. And during that year, we also had a student teacher. His name is Mr. Bontrager. And it was the first time that I had ever seen a guy in our building that wasn't 
cleaning the floors. Um, and it was awesome. And he would play basketball with us at every recess and he would hang out and talk baseball with us after school. And he seemed to really care about us as people. Um, when I got to high school, he actually became a teacher in our district and was my high school baseball coach, which was really awesome. And Mr. Bontrager is now the superintendent at our rival district right next door. So I get a chance to see him still a bunch. But Miss Miss Collins and Mr. Bontrager were, were really, really amazing people that loved books and loved their kids. So for sure. It's easy to it's easy to think about your own teachers. It's so hard. Like, do I want to answer like Donald Miller would be so easy, Penny Kittle would be so easy. But I think like what makes this profession so amazing is just the teachers. And the librarians that you know are heroes to their students and that help their students feel seen and loved and important very well stated thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and busy schedule to chat with us and i'm excited to go read some new books now thanks colby thank you i appreciate it and everyone have a great day and stay safe Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.